Welcome to today's St. Paul's Church of the Voyager podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Fiesler, and I am glad that you are listening today. I want to begin today with a confession. I really need it and really appreciate it. The opportunity to be on a renewal leave for these past eight weeks, and I really knew I needed it even more while I was away. But that's not my actual confession. Uh, Before I get to my confession, I want to express my deep and profound gratitude uh, to Todd and and to Frank, uh, to Kenneth and Justine, to Marty, who's on vacation, to Serena, who's been in the office, to to Megan, and, and certainly to Dr. Lodal, whose efforts ensured that we would be able to take this time of leave. Dr. Lodal was absolutely planning to be here, and then he contacted me last night to say that he had been called in to pinch hit at another church. Uh, so he will be back with us again soon. But I'm grateful. I am so grateful for all of these folks who were here to serve the church and to you who supported them. But as I said, that is not my confession. And before I get to that confession, I thought it might be fun to share a few numbers with you. From start to finish, from exiting our driveway to returning to our driveway, we drove 9,850 miles. Jen and I thought that if we were within 50 miles of 10,000, we'd just drive around for a while. (laughs) But 150 miles was a lot too many. Uh, Our trip uh, included time in 17 states, in Washington, D.C., and 14 days in Canada. This includes uh, seven states and multiple national parks to which I'd never been before. Perhaps most telling is that when we left, I weighed 163 pounds. When I got back, I got on the scale and weighed 176 pounds. I have never seen a seven in that second digit in my life. Fortunately, it's been pretty hot this week, and I lost a few pounds, and I could fit into my pants. Still, that's not my confession, and I do have one more thing to share before I get to that confession. Um, The financial support for this leave included $3,000 from our conference offices, and a $40,000 grant from the Vivian A. Nelson Foundation, uh, without which this would have been impossible. It helped provide the coverage, the pastoral coverage, and and other things that enabled that leave. But now uh, to my confession. And I do not think this will come as a surprise uh, to the many perceptive faces that I see in front of me, nor to the perceptive people that I know are worshiping with us online. Before leaving, this is the confession, 
Before leaving, I was unsure how much longer I would be able to serve in congregational ministry. Though I had felt the need for a sabbatical long, you know, before the pandemic, the heaviness, and I'd even use the word brutality, of the last two and a half years has led me to some pretty deep questioning of my vocational longevity. As the psalmist confesses, my soul was disquieted within me. And there are some people who say, well, you know, as a pastor, you should not talk about your weakness. I had somebody say that to me, you know, in the midst of the pandemic when things were hard. And yet, the words of this psalm are, were, are, are written by a priest, by the leader of worship. So I think if it's biblical, then it's okay for me to share that same uh, feeling. And so one hope that I had for this period of renewal is that I would be able to reconnect to my call to ministry, a call that is so vivid to me. And thankfully, it was not all that difficult. Even as it has been and remains absolutely clear that post-pandemic ministry is going to be far different than pre-pandemic ministry. Now, there are lots of people that would like to remain in denial and say, well, the last two and a half years and all that transpired, we should just be able to go back to the way we were. (laughs) That's not happening. Uh, Nostalgia is only good because we remember the good parts of what happened before. But God has something new in store for us. For all of us. And so I want to share a few reflections about my pastoral discernment as we move forward into the future. Into the future that God will lead us into. Importantly, I think it's really fair to share that that on this leave, on August 3rd, that was my 57th birthday which means I have about eight more years left until normal retirement. And what became clear in my heart is a sense of call to finish well the work for which God has claimed my life. Pondering this and based on something that I had seen elsewhere, I took some time to reflect on and name some personal choices that I wanted to make for who I will be in the coming years. And here it is. I don't know how easily readable it'll be, but I made it sort of like a meme. Is it up there? I choose love. I choose empathy. I choose kindness. I choose grace. 
I choose facts. Honesty. And respect. I choose beauty, integrity, diversity, and inclusion. I choose curiosity. Our planet. Community, humanity, and dignity. I choose love. Now, like so many things these days, the words that we use can take on this, you know, flavor of political jargon. Um, words like inclusion and diversity or words like, uh, you know, our planet uh, become controversial for some reason. But what I would tell you is that that, that declaration, it's rooted in my biblical faith, all of it. Centered upon fidelity to Christ Jesus and the biblical witness. And it's, it, it, this is my Lord that is calling me to make these choices. Not a political ideology. So I may mean something different uh, when I say those words than, than what others may be hearing. So if anyone wants to talk about this, <laughs> I'd be so uh, welcoming of conversation about it. You know, just so, so we can increase and deepen our relationship going forward. But perhaps that list that I put up, might, might that cause you, I hope, to, to take some time to reflect and make some conscious choices uh, about who you want to be in relationship to Christ, what Christ is calling you to. Because I find too many at times today that we're really separating out our religious life from anything else. And so we can come to church on Sunday mornings and be spiritual and then go away and sort of be whatever <laughs> away from church. And that uh, reflection also helped me to clarify a, a central aspiration for my ministry in the years ahead. And the, this is the aspiration. I think it'll appear up there. I aspire to lead a church that will, seek, uh, will soak our community in the goodness, beauty, and grace of a more Christ-like Christianity. My friends, is it not both terribly obvious and terribly tragic that there is a wide gulf between the word Christian these days and the word Christ-like? How is it that Christians can, can claim that label and then behave in ways that do not reflect the beauty and grace and goodness of Christ himself. If you, like, like me, are, are, decline, are concerned about the declining influence of Christianity in our culture, the remedy is not embracing the ugliness and exclusiveness and judgmentalism, and stridency, and even the violent rhetorical uh, things that we are hearing from some who claim to be Christian. 
The last I checked, none of those things were fruits of the Spirit. Now, that may have sounded a bit judgmental, which is not Christ-like. So I want to say this another way. If what you and I are doing in any part of our lives does not help us to grow in love of God and love of neighbor, then we are not actually following Jesus because that's the greatest commandment. It's really that simple. You know, if you order a ham and cheese sandwich and they deliver it to you and it has no cheese on, on it, you don't call it a ham and cheese sandwich. You call it a ham sandwich. Same thing is true. If, you can, if we're going to say, say you were Christian and then totally behave in ways that... that are unrecognizable to what Christ taught, then we can't claim that title. And that led me to reflect on something else during my ministry. And, and, it, it, and it, 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 my time away. Throughout my ministry, I have not been particularly denominational. Um, yeah, I'm ordained United Methodist. This is United Methodist Church. But I, every church I've served, I've never been terribly denominational. And yet I have not been non-denominational. Because frankly, most non-denominational churches, they share the same doctrines and the same uh, uh, governance and things like that. They just call themselves non-denominational because they don't, have, they don't share governance. But they're, they're very much a denomination in and of themselves. And, and I, I've... And I'm not anti-denominational. You know, my, I'd say that my approach has typically been along the lines of take what you like and leave the rest. You know, I, I love some Roman Catholic ritual. I love some Episcopal liturgy. I love some Lutheran and Presbyterian uh, theology, but not all of it uh, in any of those cases. And, and actually that fits pretty well with being a United Methodist. Because <laughs> uh, we're not as hard-line, maybe, as some, some others. And, and that's it, it, why it dawned on me why I remain in this particular denominational framework. Let me share three things about that. First, the United Methodist Church I have known has always endeavored to offer a wide, uh, gracious, and loving embrace. And frankly, I think that's what most people want from a church. A, a community of faith where love is at the very center of its life and vision. Our openness to love all people as unique brothers and sisters, even, even if they're not Christian, characterizes the church that I have known. And so I, I value being part of a denomination where all God's children are invited to put their gifts to use in service to God. Secondly, our denomination has always aspired to be Christ-like in practice. Countless surveys over the past decade revealed that the vast majority of people 75% or more 
first thing they think of when they hear Christian is judgmental. And and the percentage is even higher for young people, which does not bode very well for evangelical efforts, does it? But Jesus gave this, this different model for relating to the world and to others, right? The term that Methodists have typically used for this is, is uh, practical divinity. Practical divinity. What it means it's emphasizing growth in a grace-filled life as opposed to just affirming the right doctrines. doesn't mean doctrine's not important, but we've always prioritized this way of living above that. And so uh, Methodists have traditionally sought to cult- cultivate disciples who, are, who shape their lives according to Jesus' call to be merciful and loving and compassionate, even to the point of suffering for the sake of another human being. Third, the United Methodist Church has always been shaped by a dynamic view of Scripture that's much more historical than the recent doctrines that we hear about of biblical inerrancy. We trace the way that we do this back to the way that the early church did this. So contrary to what some critics assert, the Bible has always been at the center of our life and theology, always. But our view of the Bible is not simplistic. Rather, we embrace a a dynamic conception of Scripture that is scriptural. Rather than a literalistic approach to Scripture, we embrace the view that Scripture is rich and robust and offers us a firm foundation for faith and life in the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Creator Christ, Holy Spirit. Now with this in mind, and knowing that we are going to be implementing the narrative lectionary uh, beginning next Sunday, I invite any of you who want to to join me next Wednesday in the, in the music room from uh, 6 to 7.30 in what I am calling modestly the world's most honest Bible study. Hope you get that. <laughs> We're going to tell the truth about Scripture. Um, each week, we're going to explore the scripture that we're going into the following Sunday. And, um, and I know our youth group isn't started for yet another week, so, you know, at youth, you're welcome to come too. No reason you can't come and study the Bible. But we're just going to give this a try. And, uh, and uh, from 6 to 7.30, and uh, if that's not a good time and you're interested in something like that, let me know so I can let that percolate and figure out if we can do it at a, uh, two classes or something like that. But here's, here's what I want to tell you. And I'll move down here to tell you it. What I know as we are about to take communion is that I believe, I absolutely believe what the angels announced at Jesus' birth. We have good news of great joy for all people, 
I don't know about you, but I'm ready to get to work. Amen.